Hey there, and welcome to the ECM Podcast. I'm Friedrich Kunzmann, and I'm happy to be hosting this newest episode of the podcast and take you behind the scenes of new music on ECM Records. For this episode, I got together with German-American pianist Benjamin Luckner, whose newest album, called Last Decade, was just released. It's Benjamin's debut album for ECM, as well as the first of this specific lineup, with Jérôme Regard on bass, Matthias Eich on trumpet, and drummer Manu Katché. In our conversation, Benjamin talks about the recording session for the album at Studio La Buisson, about his past 10 years and why they ended up being the record's title, he talks about studying with his teachers Charlie Hayden and Brad Meldau, as well as about what it's like to work with this specific group and the groove that they bring. Hi, Benjamin. Hi. How are you doing? Glad you could join us for this podcast. Me too, man. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'd like to get started right away with your, your new album called Last Decade. Yes. What does this title mean to you? How does it, how does this collection of music reflect the title? Um, for me, it's basically a representation of all the good and bad that's happened in the last 10 years. And it's kind of a still picture of the last 10 years because I've had so many life-changing events happen in the last 10 years. And every song is dedicated to a different sort of piece of those last 10 years. Could you give us an example of what which piece might represent for you? I mean, there's Last Decade, the title track, which is, of course, the whole of it. Yeah. But then there's also um, the opener, Where Do We Go From Here? The opening, to, yeah, Where Do We Go From Here? Um, it's kind of a... Well, it was it was conceived as the last track of the album, which was it was meant as a after view of where do we go from here after everything was played but then in the order of events it turned into a beautiful opener for the album and it's kind of a question i asked myself after every bigger incident in life where do we go from here and it's kind of a, a moment of collecting yourself and being open to wherever yeah. things take me. And and when you say that, you know, last decade it, that it, it it summarizes everything that's happened to you, but also every all the good and the bad, does that also mean that it it kind of reflects uh what happened outside of your own world, but what happened what happened politically in the political landscapes, all of the crises Definitely We've gone yeah. through and yeah, yeah, that's part of it. And also learning how to function aside from what's happening outside. And like I work in this space alone every day, probably 30 hours a week. And um, I, I used to rely on, on feeling good from the outside. Yeah. So, you know, now now you have family members getting older and chaos in the world. And I need a constant positive energy from within actually to function because I'm yeah I work alone so much I come to this place like six hours a day and you're in your studio in in Berlin right now yeah right? exactly and and my routine is actually composing and recording and 
practicing alone and um in a way it, it's a it, you have to be self-reliant and kind of learn how to separate issues from the outside world yeah you have to go on despite of it all <laughs> exactly yeah. kind of yeah <laughs> and then somehow it, the outside world incorporates itself into my music obviously yeah and separate the two nice and um your connection with uh, jerome regard your bassist on this record is a more obvious one because he's been part of your long-standing trio since 2006 yep the other musicians on this album however are new to your family of collaborators mm -hmm. how did your and matthias eichs and manu kachi's paths cross um that was interesting actually um Manu Kachi saw my trio with Jerome and Mathieu play in Viersen Jazz Festival about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And he kind of remembered that. Uh, he mentioned that to me a couple months ago. And Jerome and I met up with Manu in Berlin and we had this mutual idea of doing an album. And since I already have this trio for the last 15 years, we were thinking of who would be a good horn player. And I saw Matthias Eich play live in Bremen, and he moved me to tears, literally. Like, really, I hadn't, mm. I hadn't been moved by a live concert in a long time like that. And um, we contacted him, and he immediately said yes. Pretty amazing. Great. Pretty and they're both, uh, they're both deeply connected to the ECM label in the past decades with uh, several leader dates each. And they even played together on uh, Kache's second album, Freesium, Playground. Yeah. yeah, Playground. How, how aware were you of their respective work before the session, and, and did it influence your writing for it? That's a good question. Um, I was totally aware of both of their albums and their connection to ECM. And my melodic phrasing, the way I was thinking of it, had Matthias in mind once he agreed for the project. And obviously, uh, Manu's drumming was in the back in there somewhere as well. I was building demos to make it sound a little bit towards that, his feel. Mm -hmm. And um, I was totally writing for this personnel, this specific personnel. Yeah. And then what happened was we started sending music back and forth during the pandemic. And Matthias would record some of the heads and send them back and it just made, okay. it made instant sense. that there's a striking lyrical and, and very immediate Melody's quality to the compositions on, on last decade. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that respect, the music also it differs from a lot of the things you've been doing with your trio. Yep. Um, was it hard to kind of uh, give away all a lot of those melodic lines of got a lot of the leads, since normally you're solely in charge of that? Um Not big, no, not in this case because he played them the way I was hearing them, or even better, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and he he made the contours of the dynamic shape of each phrase. He he got the most out of every phrase. I'm serious, for my taste. A, a big part of that is sustain. I feel there's a certain 
quality to Matias sustain, of course, to the sustain of the trumpet mm-hmm. that can't be compared to that of the of the piano. And also the dynamic range within the lines. Like he would he would specifically go so low at certain moments right after I was going high and it really, really low as in frequency, not in uh... <laughs> in frequency okay. and, and no, no, and uh, well in range as well sometimes, yeah, yeah. But he would just adapt always to something that would make sense in the moment. But yes, it it, it was different not being the lead singer, so to speak. So mm-hmm. I, I ended up actually having to learn my own harmony lines to the main, like I would transpose and write counter lines and then double them with Matthias, if that makes any sense. Yeah, because, I mean, he's he's not even the only one who has uh, the leading phrases right. in the trumpet, because sometimes it, it kind of uh, goes through different instruments. It can go into Jerome's uh, bass yeah. and, and so forth. Um, when you were finally in the studio with Manfred Eicher in uh, Studio La Bison, yeah. um, that was last year in uh, September? September 4th. September 221. Yeah. Um, would you say the music came together as you'd planned, or were there unexpected twists that changed the outcome of your respective tunes? Maybe spontaneous strokes of, of genius by by your respective instrumental colleagues? Oh, yeah. It, 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 it was actually much more rigid when I first had the material because I also used tracking and there was no spontaneous dealing with each other. So once we were in the studio, everything, I'm so happy with this recording because it seems so organic and the the conversation we're having musically is so unforced and yeah. it turned out even much more that way than I would have hoped, you know. And the, the demo was pretty, it was just kind of like a blueprint of what, what's, what could happen with this material. And okay, yeah, it definitely changed a, a huge amount. And then through Manfred's input, it changed also because he would um, shape even some of this, the way we, we, we were soloing on the stuff just by making us listen back to it and finding the right path for this particular song. And it, it seems like, you know, every every instrumentalist, every artist on this record has a has something to give to the respective tunes, as in Manu Kache's specific drum work, which is very I would call it beat concentric. There's always some under undercurrent of a groove going on that's not typically swinging, but uh-huh. more of a more in the groove uh repertoire. Yep. Would you say that that is something that um happened in the studio or is it something that is it something you prescribed it's i mean actually i feel like he plays groove and backbeat but he also opens up to more of a straight eighth type vibe Mm -hmm. like a backbeat can sometimes be too boxy for yeah sometimes he gets he gets rubato-esque sometimes Mm -hmm. there's it definitely opens up it's never constricted to a strict pulse it's a natural pulse yeah yeah and and it also changes throughout each song where you could have some funk drummer just keep a beat and then the, there's a fine line where it could turn corny, you know what I mean? If it doesn't, mm-hmm. but Manu let the music breathe and it would just open up and go somewhere else, yeah. But um, did I, I, I never gave him that many directions. No, he did that 
intuitively actually. We did uh, cut out some some beat ideas that were too conceptual for him. Like I actually spent, like I noticed I spent too much time alone preparing for this mm -hmm. album without getting his feedback. So, yeah. so I came into the studio with a bunch of polyrhythmic stuff that was too cerebral. It didn't feel good. Yeah. So then we just changed the beats to like the, the his main concern is to make everyone feel good. Some of the harmonic work, I, I assume that that was composed prior. Every the, the harmonic outlines and sketches of each yeah. each track were not improvised on the spot. Yeah, that that's completely written, except the bass song. Uh, Jerome wrote track number eight, which is an improvisation on the spot. Yeah, right? yeah. dedicated to his son. Yeah, but no, I spent nice. I spend. Um, because the the session got moved by a year because of the pandemic, I, I have never spent so much time composing for one record. Mm -hmm. And actually now I'm I'm in this routine, and I, I've written 40 songs since that session just because I'm so used to writing every day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. That means you have a uh, you have enough stuff to sift through for the next uh, for the next session. Yep. to talk about some of the individual tracks and and their meanings on this on this record yeah one one that's kind of dear to me because it's a tribute to uh, my grandparents is it's called Camino Cielo and that one changed a humongous amount in the studio I brought it in as a ballad and actually Matthias cut it in half and said can you just try comping on the offbeat and then it turned into this beautiful forward-moving thing rather than a sluggish ballad. Um, yeah. So that moved, that, yeah, that got changed completely. And um, my, my grandparents were really supportive of the arts and they're kind of the reason I'm actually able to do what I'm doing. And I wanted to pay tribute in a way. And, and this uh, mountain range, Camino Cielo, is behind where they used to live in California. In California, which is also where you grew up uh, for a large part of your life. Yeah, I moved there. Yeah, my, my father's American, my mom's German. And I moved to California at the age of 12. 
and um, had a great jazz teacher and studied with Charlie Hayden and got right into the jazz thing it, because I moved to California. I think it would have happened yeah. much later in Germany at the time. Red Milau as well was one of yeah. your uh, one of your teachers. Right. Um, after, after school, you also studied in the States before moving back to Europe. Um, well, well, yeah, I got my BFA at CalArts and then I moved to New York and lived and played there for 10 years. And when did you move to Berlin? Jesus. Uh, in 2008, I moved back. 2008. Yeah. Those landscapes, those jazz landscapes between the States and Europe, it's it's a whole, it's a whole nother thing, a whole nother vibe. Um, well, I... I what... Oh, sorry. Yeah? What, no, go ahead. Yeah, please. what comes to mind is that I feel like I musically was not able to find myself until I left New York because I had more um, space in Berlin because the just the way the scene works um, in New mm -hmm. York I was trying to play all the time learning music for other people trying to make a living and you're you don't even have time to, to uh, I was also much younger um, but you, mm -hmm. you don't have time to reflect as much and my idea because you're constantly you're constantly hustling yeah completely <laughs> yeah and you're trying to keep up with the next pianist that's coming along and um i felt like moving to berlin was um a huge part of having the time to really focus on writing and figuring out my what do what is it that i actually want to say on the piano yeah and not even worrying about what the other people are doing that was benjamin luckner talking about his new ecm record last decade Thank you for joining me in the ECM podcast. I'm Friedrich Kunzmann, and I'm looking forward to sharing more new music with you very soon. <laughs>